Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Innal hamdalillah nahmaduhu wa nasta'inuhu wa nastaghfiruh wa na'udhu billahi min shururi anfusina wa min sayyiati a'malina. May yahdihillahu fala mudilla lahu wa may yudlil fala hadiya lahu wa ashhadu an la ilaha illallah wahdahu la sharika lahu wa ashhadu anna Muhammadan 'abduhu wa rasuluhu. Amma ba'du. In previous episodes, we have spoken about what I call the matrix and given an idea on how it functions. A matrix is a form of mathematical calculations. It is a way to superpose different equations that can be at a very high level of complexity and you solve the issue or you solve the mathematical problem by calculating it across the different equations. In other words, whether you go this way, this way, or this way, it all works out. And that is the purpose of the satanic stratagem, is that however you want to go, it will work out for him. Everything in the environment is designed to somehow to some extent, remove you from what is your fitter. The crucial question is, so how can we escape the matrix? We're going to give another example. We're going to look at a historical event from the life of our Prophet Muhammad that Allah has described in the following terms. Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu thkuru ni'matallahi alaykum idh ja'atkum junoodun fa'arsalna alayhim rihan wa junoodan lam tarawha O you who believe, remember the blessing, the ni'mah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala upon you at the time when armies came to you and we have sent a storm upon them and we have sent armies that you can't see and verily Allah is all-seeing of what you have been doing they came to you from above and from below and your gaze started to fade and your hearts came up to your throats 
and you have started to entertain strange thoughts about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You started to doubt Allah's promise. Verily, here the believers were tried and severely shaken. And at that time, the hypocrites and those that have a disease in their hearts said, Verily, what Allah has promised us and what His Messenger has promised us was just a deception. Let's ponder about that particular event, which is Ghazwatu al-Khandaq, also called al-Ahzab. The Battle of the Trench. After the Prophet Muhammad and his companions had won a number of victories in battles, against Quraysh and two of the three Jewish tribes from Medina had broken their pact and allegiance with the Prophet and the Ansar. The Prophet Muhammad had expelled them from Medina and only one tribe was left. Members of that tribe started to grow increasingly anxious and they started to feel the need to do away with the Prophet because they felt threatened. So a delegation went to Quraysh and they convinced Quraysh to attack Medina and they said you will attack from the outside and we shall be attacking from inside and we'll do away with this problem once and for all. After negotiations, the pact was made, but Quraysh didn't stop there. Quraysh sent out delegations to other major tribes from the Arabian Peninsula, mainly a tribe called Atafan and another one called Hudayl, as well as minor tribes. But it is estimated that approximately 10,000 fighters gathered around Medina from the Arab tribes and the Jewish tribe who remained in Medina, which had a direct line to the Prophet There was no geographical barrier between them and where the Prophet Muhammad and the Sahaba used to live. This large number could not be matched by the Muslims. Fighting an army of that size was really a lost cause. This is when Salman al-Farisi came to the Prophet and said that in Persia, Faris, whenever we were faced with such a situation, 
we would dig a trench. The Prophet Muhammad intrigued, asked him to explain. And so Salman al-Farisi explained how the trench would be dug and what the purpose of it was and how to do it in a way so that it fits the purpose. And the Prophet Muhammad agreed straight away by revelation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now let's pause for a second here. The overwhelming majority of the Sahaba, be them from the Muhajireen or the Ansar, were people that were, their horizons were limited to the life of the Arabian Peninsula. Some of them were shepherds, many of the Ansar were farmers, some of them were tradesmen and they would travel. However, their horizons were limited to Yemen and Sham. Now, digging a trench, as history has proven in that particular event, when the Ahzab came and they were faced with this trench in front of us, they said, so this is a plot that the Arabs are unaware of. So for these Sahaba to be in a situation of such pressure and distress, you have 10,000 fighters that have sieged your city and your allies have turned against you from within the city and we have the hypocrites on the ground that are plotting against you. To be in that kind of situation and somebody coming with some outlandish alien idea of digging a hole in the ground in order to fight. For those of you who work in the corporate world, you might have studied how difficult it is for human to get human beings to accept change. And what is the primary reaction of human beings to change? It is rejection. Now the Sahaba were not the kind of people to argue or reject what the Prophet Muhammad said. They would get down to it and obey. However, it is not difficult to understand that this idea of just the idea of digging a trench was something that just added stress to the situation. Then when they got down to digging the trench, this is when the physical hardship kicked in. Verily it was winter and for those of you who have visited Medina in winter, remember what Fajr feels like in Medina in winter. It is an extremely painful type of cold and it lasts till the you know mid to late hours of the morning so those were the conditions in which they had to work furthermore poverty had struck the sahaba and that plus the fact that they were sieged a lot of them were actually starving. It is to the point where some of the Sahaba, they were tying rocks against their stomachs in order for the rock 
to press against the stomach so that it would give them, it, it gives the body the kind of sensation of being full so that they don't feel the physiological uh, trigger of hunger. They're still weak, but at least physiologically this, this, this stimuli of hunger doesn't bother them all the time. That, those are the conditions that were upon the Sahaba at that time. Then, a number of Sahaba were digging on one edge of the trench and they came onto a rock that just wouldn't break. They were breaking their tools against that rock and that rock wasn't moving. Obviously, if you're digging a trench that does not fully surround the area that you're trying to protect, the trench is not completely useless, but you are, it is severely flawed. So they came to the Prophet ﷺ and informed him. And he said, let me go down. So he went down into the trench and he hit the rock and he said, Allahu Akbar, I was given the two treasures, the white one and the red one, meaning Persia and Rome. And the rock broke. Now, how would you have felt if you were in a situation that is so desperate where you are totally overpowered, starved, and your enemy has one thing in mind is to finish you off once and for all. And you're being announced that you're going to conquest, to, to conquer the empire of Persia and the empire of Rome. Imagine being in such a situation and somebody announces that to you. How would you feel about that individual? Most of us will feel that this guy is delirious. It's very easy for us in hindsight, now that all the promises of the Prophet have been accomplished, it's easy for us to believe. But in that particular moment, in a situation that severe, to be told that not only are you going to get out of this situation, but you're going to become these kings that are overcoming these massive empires that govern the world. Allah described the hypocrites as having said at that stage, those who said that, ma Allahu wa illa Allah and his messenger only promised us or only duped us. They made us false promises that got us here in this trouble. It's because we followed these false promises.
Of course, we know what happened. Allah sent down winds that devastated the camps of the sieging armies, thrown over their tents, thrown over their cooking pots. The, the logs of wood were flying around, setting certain tents on fire, chaos spread, and they literally fled. And the Prophet Muhammad and the Sahaba were safe. And it wasn't more than a few decades until the prophecy of the Prophet Muhammad was realized and the kingdoms of Faris and Constantinople fell to the hands of the same people that were starving in the blistering cold of Medina in a situation that was guaranteed due to them. Allah says in Surah Ghafir, Inna la nansuru rusulana walladhina amanu fil hayati dunya wa yawma yaqumul ashhad. Verily, we will rescue our messengers and those who believe in this life and on the day where the witnesses will stand to testify. Let's pause with the exact wordings of this ayah. Allah uses the words inna lanansur nasr. What is the meaning of nasr? Nasr means rescue in a form of battle or at least some kind of clash. Unlike Anja or Nedja. Anja or Nedja, they mean rescue somebody in a situation of uh, an accident, a shipwreck, drowning, fire, etc. That is Anja, Yunji, Nedja, Yunji. But Nasara, there is this underlying meaning of struggle and fight. Allah is not going to need to rescue his messengers and the believers unless they are in a state of weakness. Were the messengers and the believers these powerful armies that had control, that were feared, then Allah would just leave them to it. That would not be called Nasr. It's they themselves, they go out and conquer. That's not what happens. Verily, it is from the Sunnah of Allah, the ways of Allah in His creation, that He will try the believers, His messengers and the believers with weakness. Allah will put trials upon them 
that will prevent them from becoming strong upon earth. And this will lead the disbelievers to increase their arrogance and to become brave when it, when it comes down to fighting the believers. However, this is exactly the trap that Allah has put up for them. It's when their transgression, their transgression reaches the limit that Allah sends down his orders and that the situation changes. Allah says, he says, our messengers and those who believe. Now, the messengers are obviously not among us anymore. But what still is among us is what we have inherited from these messengers, their way. And that is the purpose of a messenger. He conveys a message. So the individual is gone, but the purpose of the individual is still here. So it is not about Allah saving that particular individual just because of his status, but it is about the message that he is carrying. That is what Allah rescues. So if we want rescue from Allah in the situation that we are in, what we need to do is get on board of this message because that is what Allah is going to save. Whether we are on board or not, this is up to us. We have to make that effort. And we have to understand that no matter what it looks like nowadays, no matter how weak, how weakened that message is, it is just a matter of time until rescue is going to come to that message in whatever or whoever is connected to it, is holding it up. Those who believe, faith and iman. The wording of Iman, as you all know, carries a meaning that is above the wording of Islam. When we make a differentiation between Iman and Islam, we are looking at Islam as the apparent actions, but Iman as the faith that drives these apparent actions that goes beyond what you can see from these actions and going back to the event of al-khandaq the iman of the believers the iman of the sahaba in that stressful situation the fact that they just kept going with the order of the prophet muhammad and stuck 
believing in the promise of Allah and his messenger. That is an example that we have to keep in mind when it comes to Iman. Allah says, وَعَدَ اللَّهُ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا مِنْكُمْ وَعَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ لَيَسْتَخْلِفَنَّهُمْ فِي الْأَرْضِ كَمَا اسْتَخْلَفَ الَّذِينَ مِنْ قَبْلِهِمْ وَلَا يُمَكِّنَنَّ لَهُمْ دِينَهُمُ الَّذِي ارْتَضَى لَهُمْ وَلَا يُبَدِّلَنَّهُمْ مِنْ بَعْدِ خَوْفِهِمْ أَمْنًا يَعْبُدُونَنِي لَا يُشْرِكُونَ بِي شَيْئًا وَمَنْ كَفَرَ بَعْدَ ذَلِكَ فَأُولَئِكَ هُمُ الْفَاسِقُونَ Allah says, وَعَدَ اللَّهِ Allah promised. Allah promised. Those who believe and do righteous deeds. لَيَسْتَخْلِفَنَّهُمْ فِي الْأَرْضِ he will give them succession upon the earth. They will inherit the earth. Just like he has given succession to those who believed and done righteous deeds before them. And he shall establish, reaffirm, their religion that he has, that he is pleased with for them. And he shall swap the fear for safety. And they shall worship me, Allah says, and they shall not ascribe anything along with me. وَمَنْ كَفَرَ بَعْدَ ذَلِكَ فَأُولَٰئِكَ هُمُ الْفَاسِقُونَ And whoever disbelieves after all of this, then those are the people of Fisk. Let's ponder upon this ayah. It's a promise from Allah to people that fulfill two characteristics. Iman and Amal Salih. Faith and righteous deeds. What is the promise? They will get succession upon the earth. Whatever you see today, who's in charge, who's running the show, that is going to come to an end. And it's Allah will hand it over to those who fulfill these two criteria. But what situation are there in before that? Allah will make firm, establish, make safe, make easy their religion for them. Meaning before it wasn't. Before that moment, sticking to the religion was a hardship. Because the religion wasn't established. Everything coming from all direction just aimed at one thing making the religion shaky, making the religion impossible to follow. 
And he will swap fear for safety. So the state of fear is what precedes this promise of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What is the characteristics of these people? What do they want? Once this is achieved, what will they do? They will worship me, Allah says, and they will not ascribe anything along with me, not commit any act of polytheism, not big, not small, not worshipping angels, not worshipping prophets, not worshipping graves, not worshipping cult leaders, not worshipping, not having superstitions that this power and that power and that spirit and this symbol gives you this protection, etc. Allah says in the next ayah, Now in the meantime, we're not there yet. The promise is not fulfilled yet. It's a promise. It's coming. But what are you supposed to do in the meantime? Establish the prayer and give zakah. No matter how difficult the religion is at this stage, there are certain matters that that can never be compromised with. They are the absolute foundation of Islam and faith and they have to be held up no matter what. Tawheed, Salah and Zakat. And obey the Messenger. So that you shall gain the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Obey the messenger by following the path that he has indicated to you step by step, purifying yourself, fixing yourself, fixing your faith, fixing your action. This is the pathway to this promise of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And what is the next ayah? Do not believe that the people of Kufr will overpower Allah upon us. Subhanallah. What a guidance in these three ayat the promise of Allah the orders to follow and a reminder that whatever you think the power of the disbelievers is they shall not overpower Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so this promise of Allah is not to those who will establish the strongest army. It is not to those who will have the greatest technology. It is not to those who are the wealthiest. It is not to those who have the nuclear weapon or whatever latest mass destruction weaponry is out there. It is to those who have faith and do righteous deeds.
coming back to the matrix, we see that faith and righteous deeds are made difficult. As we have said, the religion is only going to be established and made easy after that. So what is the way for us to do righteous deeds and move forward along this path that the Messenger ﷺ has clarified for us despite swimming upstream so violently? If you meditate upon Surah Al-Fatiha as well as many dua in the Quran and also the authentic Sunnah, you will see that a core theme is asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for guidance and tawfiq to do these righteous deeds. It is the realization that if it is just up to you, you are nothing, you are lost. You need to act for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through the help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And how do you get that help? By asking for it. Meditate upon Surah Al-Fatiha. Meditate upon the meanings of the adhkar of the mornings and evenings. And you will see that about 90% of these adhkar, they all deal with some sort of aspect of asking Allah for the tawfiq to do the deeds that he wants us to do. And I have chosen for us a dua reported by Abu Hurairah that the Messenger of Allah said, Atuhibbuna an tajtahidu fi dua? Qulu, Allahumma a'inni ala shukrika wa dhikrika wa husni ibadatik. The hadith is declared authentic by Sheikh Albani and Sheikh Muqbil. Let's stop, let's pause on the wordings of this hadith. Would you like to, would you love to, or do you like to make ijtihad in dua? What is the meaning of ijtihad? Ijtihad it comes from the meaning of struggle. It's doing something difficult, something that you have to put your, your mind and energy to in order to achieve it. So the Prophet Muhammad used that word in dua. Do you like doing ijtihad in dua? It is very unfortunate to see that we are tried today with so many distractions that our mind is constantly dispersed. And when we are making dua, we are very often distracted and the dua is just some kind of automatic 
record that just plays back without the spirit being to it. The Prophet Muhammad indicates in this hadith that dua is a matter of ijtihad, of effort. You have to put yourself in a state where you're going to make your dua properly. So that starts by first of all eliminating distractions. Second, take a position that is a position of humility. This is not a condition. Let's say you're riding your car and you are obviously in a position that will enable you to make sure that you do this properly and it's not necessarily a position of humility. You can still make dua in that position. But let's say you're at home at the masjid or sitting somewhere and you have some time. Don't just be, you know, slouching and moving your lips in dua. That is very likely to contribute to your mind not being present in what you're saying. So take a position of concentration and humility. If you want, raise your hands in front of your face and start your dua by making the Adhkar of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and praise of Allah subhanallah walhamdulillah wa la ilaha illallah wallahu akbar and then do the salah upon the Prophet and then call upon Allah by using his names and attributes especially saying Ya Hayyu Ya Qayyum Ya Dhal Jalali Wal Ikram as well as other names and attributes according to what you're asking for and say, Allahumma la hawla wa la quwata illa bik innaka anta ala kulli shayin qadir. Like it has been mentioned in many adayah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And ask, use the adayah from the sunnah. And this one here, the Prophet says, Atuhibbun an tajtahidu fi dua say, Allahumma a'inni. We know the dua that comes at the end of salah, which is Allahumma inni ala dhikrika wa shukrika wa husni ibadatik. So the one at the end of salah starts with inni ala dhikrika and then shukrika and then husni ibadatik. Allah, help me in the remembrance of you, being thankful to you, and husni ibadatik making a nice a good worship of you worshiping you properly not just you know ibadatik yallah just get it done get it out of the way no husni ibadatik worship you properly in a good way just as if you were to cook a meal for somebody you want to please that person you want to make that meal nice Likewise, you want to make your ibadah for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala nice. And you want Allah to help you with that. But when you do this dhikr, this dua outside of salah, yani outside of the end of salah, you start with Allahumma a'inni ala shukrika wa dhikrika wa husni ibadik. Here you start with Allahumma help me being thankful to you, help me remembering you, making dhikr of you, 
and doing my worship properly for you. Hada wallahu ta'ala a'lam subhanakallahu wa bihamdik ashadu an la ilaha illa ant astaghfiruk wa tubu ilayk wa jazakumullahu khayran wa faqna allahu wa iyaakum wa salamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.